Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. If you haven't figured it out by now, Jake's gone. Kenley's gone. So y'all are stuck with me. The words of advice I got from my oldest son, Dad, don't preach too long. I said, if it's going to be really long, can you just stop and then finish it up tonight? <laughs> We're not going to do that. I've, I've got what I want to say, and I'm going to say it. Hopefully, you'll stay awake for it. Hopefully, it won't be too long, and Mason can endure it, and we'll all leave here this morning having been builded up, having been strengthened by studying together God's Word. I'm glad you're here this morning. Those of you that knew I would preach and still showed up, I'm very glad you're here this morning. I know the weather is cold outside, but it's warm in here with the love that we have for one another. I'm so very glad for this opportunity that I have this morning. I will apologize. I don't have any slides. Uh, I realized that about 10 o'clock last night. I "Ah, never did any slides. And honestly, I hate creating PowerPoint presentations, so we're not fooling with it. We'll we'll make do. Y'all just have to pay close attention to what I have to say instead of reading anything up there. So there you go. All throughout human history, if you go from Genesis chapter 1 up to the present day, however long that is, and I'm not going to try and figure it out, but if you stretch through that entire time of human history, a common thread you see throughout all of mankind is man searching for purpose. And if we're honest with ourselves, we still wrestle with that dilemma, we still wrestle with that question. We want to find purpose in our lives. We regularly wonder, we regularly stop and question, stop and ask ourselves, maybe even from time to time, we go Google it. Why am I here? What is our purpose? What is the meaning of life? And this is a question that has not only stumped most, if not all of us, on a personal level throughout all of time, But it's a question that has confounded psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists for many, many centuries. In the field of psychotherapy, there is something known as the Viennese schools of psychotherapy. And that term refers to three separate individuals and their subsequent views of psychotherapy. And so we're talking about these three Viennese schools. We're talking about the thoughts of a guy you may have heard of by the name of Sigmund Freud. And we're talking about some other guys that might be lesser known for you. A fellow by the name of Alfred Adler and then a fellow by the name of Viktor Frankl. And each of these men over the course of their time, the course of their studies, the course of their work, developed very different concepts of the underlying psychology that motivates us as human beings. For Freud... His belief was that you have different parts of what he termed your psyche. You have something called the id, you have the ego, you have the superego. And all three of these parts of your psyche are constantly in conflict with one another. You have the id that simply is seeking pleasure, seeking enjoyment. You have a superego that exists as some sort of a a moral compass, if you want to think of it in those terms. And then you have your ego that is kind of 
caught in between with tug of war being played with your ego between the id and between the superego. And your ego is always caught between should I do what is right or should I do what I want to do, what I find pleasurable to me. And to boil it all down very simplistically, and we could spend hours talking about this, I promise you we won't. But to boil it all down, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of all of this. Freud's baseline determination was that most of human interaction is motivated by that id. That is, that our motivations are guided by seeking pleasure. We find purpose simply by seeking enjoyment, by seeking pleasure. Adler comes along after him. He takes a somewhat different viewpoint from Freud. Adler says everybody's got an inferiority complex. And he based this on the fact, of course, when we're born, we are utterly and completely helpless. And we spend a large portion of the early years of our lives being very, very weak and very, very helpless. And so Adler's view was we have internalize those feelings of helplessness into an inferiority complex. And so now we're going to spend the rest of our lives, our purpose is to seek power, to rid ourselves of that fear, that feeling of inferiority and replace that with feelings of power, of maybe even superiority, of feeling that we're better than someone else. Now behind these two guys comes a fellow by the name of Victor Frankl. And he's going to be the developer of something that we know today as logotherapy. And I'll tell you from the very outset of this, uh, I'm a big fan of Viktor Frankl's. I think he is spot on in quite a few things. So I'm a little bit biased in his viewpoint here. But Frankl believed very strongly that our motivating factors in life, it was not pleasure. It was not the attainment of power, but instead that we were guided in our lives by searching, by trying to find some sort of meaning, some sort of higher calling, some sort of higher purpose for our lives. Franco would go on to articulate this philosophy in a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, strongly encourage you to read it. Becomes an international bestseller. It's been reprinted hundreds of times. It's a phenomenally popular book. And Frankl believed very strongly that we are on a quest to find meaning, to find some sort of purpose in our life. And that finding that purpose in our life, whatever that might be, would alleviate so much displeasure, would alleviate so much suffering that we find in life. And he also believed it was only individuals who failed to find that meaning, who failed to find that higher calling, that higher purpose in their lives, that it was then those individuals would turn to the philosophies of Freud or Adler and they would seek simply pleasure or they would seek simply power. His view was not that that was our default, but that rather we would seek power, we would seek pleasure because we had lost our meaning, or we had not been able to successfully find our meaning to fill that void in our lives. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, I think Dr. Frankel is spot on in all of this. I think he's spot on in the fact that you and I want meaning in our lives. We want purposeful lives. We want purpose-filled lives. 
And I think all of us at one time or another, maybe this is an ongoing dilemma you have in your life right now. We've sat around and we've wondered about that. What is my purpose? Is what I'm doing in my life meaningful? Am I living a life of meaning? As a Christian, I'm thankful I don't really have to spend a whole lot of time navel-gazing on what my purpose is in life. I don't have to spend a lot of time searching for it or dwelling on finding that meaning. I can go all the way back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, the 13th verse. The wise man Solomon would write, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's my purpose. As a Christian, as a follower of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, his son, that right there is my purpose, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Now think again about who's saying this. This is King Solomon. This is the wisest mortal man that has ever lived. This is a man that is rich, that is wealthy beyond our wildest imagination. This is a man literally with hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines. A man that ruled as God's chosen leader over God's chosen people. If ever, if ever a man had power, King Solomon had it. He had wealth. He had wisdom. He had everything that you or I could probably ever want in this life. He had every bit of that. And we see him just a few verses before that in that 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. As he says, vanity, vanity is all is vanity. All of these earthly pursuits, all of this on this earth, it's all in vain. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. And notice again that conclusion he draws. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This wise man tells us, I've had it all. I've had all the wealth, all the power, all the riches, everything you could want. And what I've come to the conclusion here in the later part of my life, none of that matters. I need to fear God. My whole duty is to do God's will. If I'm looking for significance anywhere else in life, I'm not going to find it. If I'm looking for meaning... Anywhere else in my life. I'm looking in all the wrong places, as Johnny Lee might tell us. If I'm looking for meaning in my school grades, I'll never find it. And I, I especially never found meaning in my school grades. <laughs> if I'm looking forward in my bank account, no matter how many zeros are or are not there, I'm not going to find it. If I'm looking forward in my job and climbing the ladder, getting that big promotion, getting that big office, whatever that may be, it's not there either. Meaning in my life is not found in winning football games. It's not found in the car I drive. It's not found in the house that I live in. It's not found in having all sorts of wonderful experiences with my friends and family. It's not found in anything else. And while none of those things are inherently wrong, having a nice car, a nice house, winning football games, none of those things are inherently wrong. 
none of them matter. Because ultimately, as Brother Marshall Keeble said many years ago, the Lord's going to burn it all up one day anyway. None of those things we can leave behind and have any significance to follow us. And so if everything I have, everything around me, everything I see is going to be a smoldering pile of ashes and rubble one day, then what does matter? What can I leave behind? Very simply, that's a life that is centered, that is focused, that is wholly devoted to Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done, that is the only thing I can leave behind that will not be utterly and completely destroyed one day. Now we know the story of Matthew chapter 19 of the rich young ruler. The rich young man, some versions translated as. He comes to Jesus. He wants eternal life. He said, Master, what can I do? What, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, it's simple. Keep the commandments. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you got to do. And the rich young man says, well, I, I've done all that. I've been doing that. I've, I've been keeping those commandments since my childhood. And Jesus says there, in verse 21, Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That young man wanted to follow God. He wanted to do God's will. He wanted to serve God. But not at the expense of his possessions. He was so caught up, so tied up in worldly goods, in worldly wealth, he thought that was where his meaning was. That's where he had placed his significance in life. And so rather than turning his back upon all of that to follow Jesus, he said, no, I can't do it. I can't get rid of all my stuff. I can't give away all my stuff. I can't give away all my money. And he went away sorrowful. And so far as we know, so far as the biblical record tells us, that young man never came to follow Jesus. He decided to try and fill that spot in his life, fill that void in his life with the possessions of this earth. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable about a rich, as he calls it, a rich fool. Apparently this guy had a great harvest. He goes out, he harvests his crop, it's a, a bumper crop. And he thinks about what a wonderful farmer he is, what a wonderful job he has done, all the great things he has accomplished and he says, you know what I'm going to do? Because I don't have enough room to, to harvest all of this because I'm such a wonderful farmer. I'm so good. Tear down my barns. I'll build even bigger barns to house all the stuff I have, to house all that I've grown, all that I have produced. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to kick up my feet. I'm going to relax. Because of what I have done and what I've been able to do and how great I have been as a farmer. Nowhere in any of his plans was God mentioned. Nowhere in any of this equation did God factor in. And so what we're told as Jesus concludes this parable is this rich fool, this rich farmer, 
who has left God out of all of his plans, who is worried about his own fulfillment, his own accomplishment, seeking after his own pleasure. We're told that his life is going to be taken from him and that all of his goods, all of his goods, Jesus says, who, whose are they going to be? What's going to happen to all of his stuff? And of course, we understand looking back, we know what's going to happen again. It's all going to be burned up. It's all vanishing. It's all going to disappear one day. Now we can contrast that with one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. It's a lady by the name of Dorcas or Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. And we're told there, Luke records for us, starting in verse 36, we're told now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. Notice this part right here. I want you to picture this in your mind right here. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Think about this for a minute. Think about who's gathered here. We, we don't know a whole lot about Tabitha or Dorcas. I don't know what her marital situation was. I don't know how many kids or grandkids or whatever she had or didn't have. We don't know anything about that. But what we know, what we see very clearly, she has passed from this life. Presumably, presumably the Christian brothers and sisters there had tremendous faith. They knew the kind of woman she was. They knew what her eternal destination was going to be. And yet they are so upset, so distraught about her passing, they've gone and they've tracked down Peter because they want him to come and bring her back to life. But notice also who is there mourning over her body. Again, we don't know her marital status. We don't know how many kids or grandkids or whatever else she had or didn't have. But what we see is people in the community. We see her brothers and sisters. We specifically, it says the widows are there beside her, weeping over her body, weeping that she is gone. And they're displaying these tunics and these garments she has made. This was a woman who was going about doing God's will. This is a woman who was going about loving others. This is a woman that was going about and serving those around her. And because of that, we see great weeping, great sorrow, great lamentation by her Christian brothers and sisters over her passing. We think about the widow in Luke chapter 21 with her two minds. Based on the best math I've been able to do, which is always iffy at best, that two mites she put in would be the equivalent for us today, maybe a dollar, maybe. And we think about that, somebody putting a dollar in the plate, that's nothing. That's no big deal. That's, that's insignificant. When you're talking about perhaps thousands of dollars a week that might be put in the contribution, one dollar is meaningless almost. 
And yet Jesus lauds this woman. He commends this woman to his disciples not because of this vast amount of money she's placed in the treasury, but because what she gave was everything that she had. And so for her, it wasn't the great amounts that others had given, but what she had given to, to God was everything that she had to give. And that right here, folks, that is where it all starts and ends for every one of us. We want purpose in our lives. We want meaning in our lives. We want to leave some sort of legacy, leave something behind when we are dead and gone on this earth. And if we want to do that, the only way that can happen is through service and devotion to Jesus the Christ. That means anything else, whatever it may be, that is going on in my life, it has to take a back seat to my commitments to the Lord. And I want you to understand something. I use the word commitment there on purpose. That, that is intentionally right here in my notes. Now, technically, I think my understanding is my title is Deacon of Involvement. Among other things, I get called. But what I want you to understand, involvement's not the goal. We want you involved, but involvement is the starting point. Because what we are working on, we're going to start with involvement, but we're working toward commitment. And what does that look like? If we're working toward commitment, we want to be committed, what does that commitment look like? And I'll tell you very simply, and this is no great secret here, but that commitment starts out by you being present for worship services. Being here at every opportunity we have to be together again, that's not an end point. That's not a checklist of, hey, I made it Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm good. That's not an end. That is simply the start line. That is simply the starting point to it all. Just being here three times a week no more makes you a faithful Christian than me walking out to a dairy barn makes me a milk cow. That is where it starts. And it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be hard to encourage people to want to be here. I should want to be here because I've got a mighty God to praise. I have a God that loves me so much he spared no effort, no amount of pain and suffering to save me from my sins. But as I look around this room this morning too, I want to be here because y'all are here. I love the holiday time. I love Thanksgiving time. I love Christmas time. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, he likes it because there's all that food to eat. And you're not wrong. But the other reason I love it is for some of my family, that's about the only time all year that I see them. For some of my family, I see them a little bit more than that, but that, that's the best time we're going to get to spend, really spend some time together. And so I look forward to it because I get to see my family. 
I get to see people I love more than anything in this world. Coincidentally, though, that's what happens here every Sunday and every Wednesday. The people I love more than anything in this world. Some of them are on a bus coming back from Dallas right now, somewhere between here and Bucky's, maybe still at Bucky's. And they'll be here later. But the rest of them are in this room right now. And so I should, it should be easy for me to want to be here because the people I love are going to be here. But I'm also here for selfish reasons. I can't be who I want to be as a husband. I can't be who I want to be as a father. I can't be who I want to be simply as a Christian without being here, without studying the word of God with my brothers and sisters, without your love and encouragement, without having this time together to praise our mighty God, I can't be what I want to be if I don't take advantage of those opportunities. Because you see here, here I get love and support like I'm not going to find out there. I have people outside of this building that I look to for advice from time to time that I, I appreciate their help. I appreciate their encouragement. I have friends outside of this building, believe it or not. But the people I'm counting on, the, the people that I'm relying on, are in this room right now. The love and support I need to live the life I want to live comes from each and every one of you. But again, we said being here is not a, a starting point. I'm sorry, it's not an end point. It's, it's just the beginning of all of this. Because I should be here, but when I'm here, I should be an active participant in the life of a church. Now, you and I have very different talents and abilities. And that's okay. I don't have to have the talents you have. And you don't have to have the talents that I have. It'll make me better than you. It'll make you better than me. It makes us different. But what it does mean, because each of us have these talents, it means that each of us have a niche to fill in the work of this congregation. Nobody, nobody should have to come to you and beg and plead with you to take on a role in this congregation that needs to be filled. We should be looking for ways to be involved. We should be looking for ways to work. We should be looking for ways to serve. If we can't find one that fits our talents and abilities, maybe you need to develop a new talent. Or maybe we need to develop a new role for you to use the talents and abilities that you have. But every one of us should be looking for ways to be involved, to work, to serve, to support the church. Now, hand in hand with that, we should also be looking not for, to just serve the church. We should be looking for opportunities to serve others as well. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 with me. And Mason, I promise we're getting close here, all right? Turn to Matthew chapter 25 with me. We're going to read this passage. It's lengthy. And it's a passage we're familiar with, but we're going to read it just the same anyway this morning. Start there in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read the rest of the chapter from this point forward. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom for you prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now again, we should be looking, we should be actively seeking for opportunities to serve those around us. As Jesus outlines here in those verses we just read, you had two groups of individuals here. You had a group that saw the needs of others, that met those needs, that served those individuals that had needs, that ministered to them in their time of need. And we're told those were the ones that would inherit the kingdom. Those were the ones that were going into eternal life. You had another group, those that did not serve others, those that did not minister to others, those that did not meet the needs they saw of those around them, and they were cast into eternal fire. It will be the same for us. The expectation placed upon us as children of God is that we will be individuals that will love and serve everybody around us. That we will be individuals that when we encounter pain and suffering in this world, that we will do our best to alleviate that. That we will do our best to bring peace and joy everywhere that we go. That is the expectation for us as faithful children of God. I want to make sure we're clear on this point this morning. And if you happen to be visiting with us, I want you to understand this as well. We're not just doing that for the fun of it. We're not just doing that. We're not just out there to serve others and to alleviate pain and suffering because the warm, fuzzy feeling it gives us inside. We have an agenda. And that agenda is that we want other people to come and follow Jesus. We want them to see the life we live. We want them to see the service, to see the love, the peace, the joy that we have in our lives. And we want them to say, you know what, I want part of that. 
I want that peace, that joy, that happiness as well. We're not trying to bribe anybody. There's no tricks. We're not trying to coerce anybody into being a follower of Jesus. What we want them to know, what we want them to grasp and understand is the void they feel in their lives, that search for meaning that they are on that they cannot find, that it's found right here in Jesus Christ. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician. He was a physicist, inventor, philosopher. He was also a Catholic writer of sorts. He lived in the mid-1600s. He made the following statement at one time. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're unaware of it, outside these doors is a world lost in darkness. There are people blindly groping in that darkness Struggling, looking for something. Looking for something better than just this life. Looking for something better than just this world. Looking for meaning. We want to provide those lost souls with what they are seeking. But what they are seeking can only be found in Jesus Christ. Real meaning cannot and will not be found anywhere else. You and I have an important mission. We, we are on a mission that will turn the world upside down if we will commit ourselves to that mission. Are you on a quest for meaning in your life? Perhaps something we've discussed today, something we've talked about today has provoked something inside of you. Maybe you want to study more about that. You want to study more about finding meaning in your life. We'd love to have that study with you. We'd love to sit down and study God's word together with you. Maybe you know what you need to do. Maybe you know today that you need to obey the gospel. That you need to follow the will of God. You need to become a Christian this morning. That you need to confess Jesus as Lord and Master of your life. You need to repent of the sins in your life. And you need to be immersed in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away. Be raised up to walk in newness of life. To live a life full of purpose and meaning found in service to Jesus Christ. And maybe you've done all of that. And it is my most sincere hope and prayer that you have. Maybe you've done all of that, but you had not followed through on that commitment. You have shirked, perhaps, your kingdom responsibility. And maybe you'd like to make amends for that this morning and restore that right relationship. Maybe you, maybe you just need prayers. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you this morning if that's what you need as well. Whatever needs you might have in your life this morning, we're ready, we're willing to serve you and to meet those needs as we stand and as we sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com.
If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.